Coming to you from the San Jose Mercury News, the Bay Area News Group, it's the TK Show. Now here's your host, Tim Kawakami. Everybody, Tim Kawakami here, TK Show, special post-Warriors Championship show. Recording live from super producer Paul Baca's house due to some car issues. We, we, you might hear the uh, tow truck driver knocking on the door in a few seconds, but that's okay. We're, we're doing the show. we got a great guest, and this is how we do it. We just kind of we kind of roll with whatever, with whatever's going. Uh, it is very my great pleasure to have on as a guest ESPN's great NBA writer, Zach Lowe. Zach, uh... Great to have you on. If you hear any knocks or anything, you want to, if you have any car trouble, we might be able to send a tow truck driver over to you. So uh, we, we've got that handled. But first of all, how are you doing today? And uh, w- when you you look at you, you think about this Warriors championship, second in three years, just generally, what strikes you? What what do you think history is going to tell us about just this championship right now? Uh, I'm doing good. I'm a little under the weather actually. Uh-oh, I think uh-oh. all the traveling uh, finally got caught up with me. But uh, you know that's fine. Um, <laughs> You know, I don't, I mean, I, uh, this story is still ongoing, right? I mean, if they end up winning, you know, four titles in six years or whatever it ends up being, they, they go into the pantheon of the very greatest franchises in the history of, of the league. And they're already on their way there. And, and I think that, I think if you had to zoom out and say, what is the story of these three teams? I think it's one, Steph Curry as a completely revolutionary NBA player. And two, um, Draymond Green playing center, uh, yep. not as much as people think he should play center, and <laughs> and, and the ability of the, the the first real team, the first team to be this successful switching so often on defense. Those are sort of the two basketball trends that I think the Warriors exemplify. Well, as always, Zach, you bring up something. I'll, just just by saying that, I want to explore the switching part of this. We know they do it. Has there been any other great team that has switched even close to this so much? Yeah, people, if you actually watch, like, the old Bulls teams play, the Michael Bulls teams, yeah. there was a fair amount of switching that those teams did, especially when they would put Rodman at center. Uh, the George Carl teams did about everything possible defensively, every trick in the book they tried in Seattle. So it, it, switching itself is not, like, some revolutionary concept. But six, seven, eight years ago, we had reached a point in the league where switching was kind of a dirty word. It was like a form of surrender. It's yeah. what you did when you couldn't guard your man, and, and the Warriors turned it into a weapon. And I think, if anything, their success and the struggles of the teams that have tried to imitate it, it shows how how hard it is to have players up and down the roster that are sort of smart enough and tall enough and long enough to do it without messing up. It really does mess up the whole pick-and-roll thing, doesn't it? I mean, it just I guess that's the answer to every play coming down, being a pick and 1-4 pick-and-roll, 1-5 pick-and-roll. If you can switch everything that might be the problem for it. I, I guess that would be the answer why this is so successful right now. Would you Would you agree with that? Yeah, and that's why, you know, the ripple effect from that is that teams have, and it's not just something that Cleveland does against Golden State, teams have said, okay, so where can't you switch? Okay, you can't switch your little point guard onto our big wings. So the the one three three one pick and roll has sort of swept the league as a counter to that. And you saw, obviously, when the Warriors played their traditional centers on the floor, um, that was a place where Cleveland attacked over and over again until, you know, JaVale didn't play game five and, and David West played out of his mind. But I think the hook on him was going to be was going to be quicker if he didn't play out of his mind. I'm just struck by watching, you know, the 30 for 30 uh, whole Lakers Celtics uh, two part piece. And I haven't watched all of it, but it just, just hits me when, you know, you go through a three straight finals, Warriors, Cavaliers, and you wonder. Are we going to be? Is is this a documentary in the making? Is it Warriors Cavaliers era? 
I, I know it isn't determined, but do you think this is just going to be kind of the Warriors era? Is this, it's just going to be about the Warriors, and they had this nice rivalry with the Cavaliers for a little while, and then they just took it beyond. How do you think it might play out? I think you can do the documentary now. I mean, this is already the first time we've had the same two teams in the finals three years in a row, and it's the Warriors era now, but it's LeBron's era always, and LeBron is the main character in the league, and he's been the main character in these three finals, and the middle one was the the crazy historic championship for the Cavaliers, the end of 50-plus years of Cleveland sports misery, and if they meet for a fourth time in a row, next year, which looks on paper like the most likely outcome, but history tells us we should expect something funky to happen because, again, even three in a row never happened. But, yeah, I think you could make – we'll have a 30 for 30 in, like, 20 years or something. <laughs> LeBron, will prob- LeBron will probably own whatever media company produces the 30 for 30, so who knows. Uh, you wrote a nice piece at the end of it just, I mean, uh, uh, writing about a lot of issues, but one of the main ones was what are teams going to do to react to what the Warriors have built here? for the next three or four years. Uh, and you, you mentioned Boston, you mentioned Houston, you mentioned you know, Cleveland. What do you think Cleveland is going to do, Zach? I mean, do, do you think they have to do some retooling, or do they line up basically what they did this year, knowing that they're going to dominate the East probably with, with this roster again? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the lessons of the finals is that the Cavaliers are awesome. Mm-hmm. And um, there's, there's nothing wrong with the Cavaliers. They scored 120 points per 100 possessions in the last three games. Like, Golden State could not stop them at all. And and when you're that good, I'm not sure that any dramatic change, even if you have a player like Kevin Love who's not amazing in this matchup against the Warriors, I don't I don't know that they're going to find a change that makes them let that makes them better against the other 28 teams and better against the Warriors. I think that's going to be hard to do. That said, I think and look, we're just 48 hours or 72 hours into the offseason, but I do think Cleveland is going to aggressively explore moves that would rejigger their roster in dramatic ways, whether it's Kevin Love for X or Tristan Thompson for X. I think they will explore those things. They need a two-way forward, don't they? I mean, they need somebody who can can help LeBron. Other than Richard Jefferson, I guess, was their answer for it. Uh, I know that's easier said than done, but do you see them looking for a two-way forward? Yeah, I mean, look, the whole league would like two-way players. (laughs) I mean, that's you you nailed it with easier said than done. It's like... It's like when when everyone says the Thunder should get more outside shooters who can stay on the floor defensively. Like okay, like every team wants those players. You show me who's available, and and you know, and and the sort of the other popular suggestion was, oh, they need a Tony Allen or or a PJ Tucker or somebody like that. And my response was, the Warriors aren't going to guard those players. Like that's going to chip away. That's going to the defensive specialist is not going to help you close the gap with the Warriors because it's going to chip away at your offense, which is the only thing that's making you competitive with the Warriors. Yeah, and that's Shumpert. And yeah, I, I, I look at it this way. I thought the Warriors wanted the defensive players on the court and maybe were more leery of Corver and some of the other offensive players. Do you, you think they approached it that way in the finals? Um, maybe. Um, I mean, I, I, Shumpert has been a decent three-point shooter throughout his career. He seems to not play well against the Warriors, but, um, you know, I, I, on the flip side, I don't think they would have been intimidated by like Channing Fry yeah. getting more minutes because they would have just gone at him uh, on the other end. And just one-way players are the Warriors eat those players for dinner on both ends of the floor. Whatever end you're weak at, they will find you and pick on you. You talked to Steve Kerr a lot, and I know you talked to him at length. Was it like before Game Four? 
what was the coaching kind of flow to this? What do you think was the key move or the one thing that the Warriors kind of had to do and, and Cleveland couldn't react to, uh, to to finish off this series? Um, you know, I don't know that they really did anything dramatic other than having, like, better talent on the floor. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. That but helps. Cer- that helps, yes. Yeah. yeah, but certainly in the last game, you know, the way they ran that Curry-Durant pick-and-roll to death, and, 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 and I do think a lot of us have been guilty of sort of urging them to run that play without understanding um, why maybe they weren't running that play as much as possible, but they did land in a matchup in this series where that the, the Cavs had just no answer for that. So maybe, you know, that kind of tilted game five, but even before then we just had no evidence that the Cavs could, could stop the Warriors offense. It was just a matter of, you know, did they score more points on that night? Well, this is getting back to what the other teams do. So you had the Daryl Morey interesting thing about what to up their risk profile uh, to try to match what the Warriors are doing. Do you see some, teams really trying to go for it here to say okay we're close enough we got to push everything in the the middle here is that the decision some of these teams are gonna have to make yeah I mean I think you know the broader narrative has been oh you know teams are just gonna wait out the Warriors and some of these teams are just not gonna try and I I think that's a little overblown like there's only one or two teams and and the, the sort of central example is Boston that are good and have some chips they can push into the table to try to be great. And and I do think Boston at the trade deadline, one of the main reasons they didn't try to be great was that they thought the great version of the team that we can build right now is just still too far away from Golden State and Cleveland. But that that's like a luxurious position to approach these decisions from, right? Like Memphis is not sitting there like, are we going to wait out the war? <laughs> Memphis is sitting there saying, we have to be as good as we can be every year. We're a small market team. And I think on the flip side, you know, I, I interviewed – Daryl Morey. I didn't interview R.C. Buford, and if I did, I'm sure he wouldn't have commented. But you <laughs> he, know, wouldn't, he wouldn't have said we've have, got. A, he wouldn't have said we've got to up our risk profile. I'm, I'm betting that right there. He definitely would not have said <laughs> we have something up our sleeve. Um, but those te- those teams have top five players in the NBA in their absolute primes, and when you have that, you don't mess around. Like you just don't like. Do you have that player? You have to try to win every single year, and I think those teams in that position will try to win every single year. The Clippers, if they keep their team together, will try to win every single year. Doc Rivers will screw it up, but they'll try. <laughs> well, you bring up the Clippers. Uh, obviously, the news the last few days: Jerry West is going to move over there. Nothing's official yet, but it, he's sort of talking about it uh, to become a, an advisor in, in some way, some different title uh, that we know of, consultant, whatever. For the Clippers, do you think this is going to change them in any dramatic way? How how are he and Doc Rivers going to coexist? It's going to be very interesting, right? I think Jerry is seventy nine. Yep. I think, but he yep. he has an appetite to be involved still. Uh, you know, you wrote a great column on he, he may have been a little more distant this year than he had in the past with the Warriors. Like the players hadn't seen him around that much anymore. But he's got a smart head for the game, obviously. And you were you were at the forefront of like. Of, of reporting years ago that he was the number one voice saying, do not trade Clay Thompson for Kevin Love. Um, you know, I, I think one of the interesting things that the Clippers are going to have to deal with over the next year or two, and this starts it, is, you know, Doc Rivers is just not good enough at being the GM to have that kind of personnel authority. And, and, and almost no coach ever, it's not a knock on Doc Rivers as much as it's just like that job is is almost impossible to do to have those two jobs at once. And so I think ownership there has clearly decided, like, we need a a couple of bulwarks against Doc Rivers just being able to do whatever he wants personnel-wise, and this is is a big salvo. 
is Doc in on this decision, or is this being done to Doc? I'm sure Doc. I'm sure Doc is fine with it. Um, I, I don't. It's a good question. I don't know. I don't know how involved he was in the talks. I, I, Doc is smart enough and secure enough that I, I don't think he would view it as a threat um, to his autonomy or his power with the Clippers, and and he'll he'll live with it. But I, I, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, it's other people reporting it or just mumbling it that you know there's discussion that LeBron m- might end up in L.A. after his contract expires next year. Uh, normal chatter stuff, or do you think there might be something to this? I'm actually, you know, I never reported it because it, that kind of stuff makes me a little uncomfortable to throw yeah. out there, but uh, that stuff has been going around for a couple of years and, you know, various little events that happened and people are putting the pieces together. You know, I, I don't, uh, Woj reported this, and I, I, yeah. this is definitely true, like the Cavs are not sitting there thinking that LeBron is going to be on their team forever, mm-hmm. or or they're not sitting there confident in that. Right? I don't think the Cavs are super, I think probably they think they have an edge next year in free agency, but I don't think it. they're like, oh yeah, we have a huge, gigantic edge and there's no chance he signs somewhere else. Um, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. It, it wouldn't shock me because he, he won his title, he, he did what he came back to do, and his Everything you hear about his relationship with Dan Gilbert and his camp's relationship with Dan Gilbert is that it's it's still not great. And that would be that would be something. But it's LeBron. We've always got to talk about LeBron. Zach, you, you've mentioned this in your story. You, we've talked about it. Obviously, the Warriors have some financial issues coming up. Maybe not exactly this season, but certainly they've got Curry and Durant, they got all and Livingston. They got all these free agents, which I imagine that they can work out most of it. But into the future, you've got Clay Thompson coming up after 2019. You've got Draymond Green coming after 2020. Uh, do you think this ends basically, or no, I shouldn't say end, but this kind of this group of four is is going to have to end at some point in 2019, 2020? Is that realistic? I can't find anyone in the league who thinks that they will be able to keep all four of them together once once all. And this is not till 2020. Yep once all four of them cycle into their next contracts. Now, for Curry, that's now. For Durant, that's kind of now and kind of next year, and then Clay and Draymond down the line. Um, And I understand why people think that, because the payroll, even if you, you know, maybe they take some, maybe each of them leaves a couple million on the table, but even then you're looking at a payroll of $400 million or $390 million if each of them leaves some money on the table and the rest of the the pieces are just sort of minimum contracts and, and draft picks. And we just haven't ever seen a team pay that. It's just it, we haven't seen a team pay close to that, and so I understand why people are skeptical. But you know, um, it, maybe the new arena proves such a windfall, and and you know, you you know this better than anyone. Like, what would it, it, the team must be worth at least two and a half billion now? And if you told me that it's it would be it'll be worth five billion, six billion when they open that new arena, I, none of those figures would would like blow me away. And certainly it would take that kind of number for, for the ownership to even think about selling the team. So they're sitting on a, a golden a golden egg, a golden goose. I can't remember what you're sitting on, but you're sitting on a golden <laughs> all those something. Things, all those golden uh, things. All of them. All of them. But, yep. but, but look, you know as well as I do, no team has ever been you know, $300 million yep. over the luxury tax. Not once you include the tax bills. You know, no team yep. has ever been in, a, in the $400 million range ever. Yeah, no, or close, or or even close. I, I just I, again, I, and people have jumped on me a little bit on this. I think Draymond in 2020 might be the one to circle 
just because you know you don't know how he'll be 32, 33. You don't know how that that game will age. It's it's way off in the distance. But uh, when when you make those calculations, do do you say okay, it's Clay or Draymond in their minds, or might it have to be both uh, long range that they have to think about saying okay, we don't need to pay you 40 million dollars into the future. I don't think it'll be both, but um, it, it would have to clearly be one of those two. I mean, you just don't. Steph Curry and KD are 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 you know all time first level players in the history of the league, and Draymond defensively is that. And I think Draymond. I mean, you've heard the arguments over all over the years that Draymond maybe is the most indispensable player yeah. on the team. I, I don't necessarily buy that, but I get why people think that, and that leaves Clay, and you know. We'll see, but as as you said, this is years away. Like I think the next two or three seasons, they will they will just pay the luxury tax, whatever it is, because you just don't get a team like this ever. Yeah. What What do you see happening in this July? I mean, I have certainly my own opinions, but do you see it kind of going down the line that Durant and Curry, Iguodala, basically all come back, and then Sean Livingston's a coin flip, and then everyone else is basically for a minimum or an exception. Yeah, I think I, I would bet on everyone comes back. I think Andre wants to be there. Livingston definitely wants to be there. And, you know, maybe they'll get offers that they can't pass up. But I, I think both of those guys seem pretty fulfilled by what's going on there and living in the Bay and all that. It, it would surprise me if anybody left. You talked to Steve on your podcast, very good podcast the other day. Uh, where, where do you think his mindset is? He seems pretty clear that he was going to coach next season. Uh, do you think there's any doubt? in his mind in any in the way this health has gone that, that he is coaching the Warriors next season it didn't seem that way and it and it hasn't seemed that way and and Bob has also been pretty optimistic on the record about it I, I think there must be some doubt because I mean I I didn't ask Steve much about his health because he doesn't want to talk about it but I, you know I just can imagine I, I can imagine there's part of him that is thinking you know will this ever go away yeah. like I, I you know you can imagine just every day you probably wake up hoping is this the day where I pick my head out of the head off the pillow and I feel better? And every day it's not. You must think, you know, there's maybe this will never go away. I mean, you see, he wasn't 100 percent during no. the finals. He just no. wanted to coach the end. But they seem pretty optimistic, and you know, I'm not a doctor, so I'll just leave it there and 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 let their words stand. What's Mike Brown's future? You know, because of the 11 games he coached, because of his his time with the Warriors, I'm assuming he, obviously he'll be the lead assistant next year and would would step in if there's any occasion to do it. After next season, is he getting a job for sure somewhere? Um, certainly, everyone is assuming that there will be a wave of coaching firings next year after there have been none so far this year. Um, and when, if and when that happens, he'd have to be at the top of people's list. I mean, you just can't. There is no better car wash than being the lead assistant for the Golden State Warriors. <laughs> so whatever, whatever needed to be washed away has been washed away. Yeah, were you were you at all surprised about the way he handled all this? He was just so deft at it. He was so cool through it. Uh, certainly, maybe not entirely his reputation and his other coaching stops. Were you surprised by the the, the job that Mike Brown did in those eleven games? Uh, not really. I mean, it was a very tricky situation to evaluate from the outside because, like, Steve is still there, and Steve is, like, the guiding sort of light of the team. Um, but Mike's an experienced head coach, and that team, they've all been together for so long now other than Kevin that they know how to play, they know how they want to play. And, and I actually thought, um, you know, there's there's clearly a sort of philosophical difference between Steve and Mike about playing mismatched basketball and sort of milking the same play over and over again. And, and I think they both 
acknowledge that, and they both, you know, respect the way the other feels about it. And Mike has, has learned to sort of love how the Warriors are, and Steve has learned to to adapt from adopt some stuff that Mike likes. But I, I have, I did think that was an interesting plot twist. And I think Marcus Thompson tweeted after Game Five, like it was Mike Brown's idea. Yep. To continue milking that Steph KD pick and roll, so I, I enjoyed watching that. I mean, tension is not the right word, but that sort of back and forth between the two. Even better, Mark. Yeah, Marcus Sweet was Steve Kerr said Mike Brown's idea was to use the the Curry. You, you know, it's just perfect. It's a perfect encapsulation of that situation of Kerr noting that Mike Brown did this, and when Mike Brown was a coach, he kept noting that Steve Kerr said we should do this. Uh, it it really folded together. Uh, about as amazingly as possible. Let's just end this on the basketball stuff with with Kevin Durant. That's certainly going to be the story that everybody remembers. His adjustment to the Warriors, his coming to the Warriors, the criticism, and how this ends. Uh, do Do you think his game goes even further here? Uh, where Where does this take him? Is he Is he someone who realistically can joust with LeBron for being the best player in the league for the next two three years? For sure. Um, I mean, look, I, I did find it comical how quickly the some in the media went from LeBron is about to surpass MJ to <laughs> Kevin Durant has surpassed LeBron. Yeah. I mean, it's like, can we just pump the brakes on this? LeBron is the best player in the world. Um, it shows no signs of ceding that title to anybody. But yeah, KD is is KD is what we knew he was. He's a seven footer who can shoot threes, pass, work off the dribble, and the way he defended this year, it's like. My God, um, you know what? What? What else are you supposed to do with this guy? And as LeBron ages, you know he's going to be there. I think Giannis and Milwaukee mm-hmm. eventually will be in that conversation. And I'm I'm still an Anthony Davis truther. I still think Anthony <laughs> Davis has a yep. shot to be in that conversation too. Yeah. All right. Well, Zach, I will ask you the question I try to ask everybody on my podcast when I remember to. Uh, Zach Lowe, what's your favorite restaurant? So I love I, I love food, but I'm not a foodie. Okay, okay? Sure. so I'm not one of these people who who goes to Japan and makes reservations <laughs> like nine months in advance for the best place. My experience with food is I want the food to be good and I want the atmosphere to be memorable and blah blah blah. So, the, but, but I, I, I'm going to name a place I only went to once, okay. which is a tapas place in Barcelona called Gasterea on Calle Verde, which everyone should go to. Love and it. it's a little hole in the it's a little hole in the wall where you just sit at a counter. And you don't order anything. You just wait for the chef to bring out whatever tapas and bread that he's going to make that day. And you just sit there for four hours, and you don't know what's coming next. And it's one great thing after another, and you have some beers, and it's a whole night has gone by. And I and and I was there in, God, 2000, whenever I started dating my wife in 2006, 2007, and it's one of sort of the best memories we have. And one everything that came out was unbelievable. So it's a place I've only been to once, but that's what I'm going to name. I love it. Anything when you start saying Barcelona and Tapas, I'm in for. Uh, I appreciate it so much, Zach. I'm going to let you go. But really, really thank you for being on the show. Love having you on. Love talking basketball with you. Uh, I really appreciate it. Zach, Zach, Zach Lowe, thanks very much. My pleasure. I, I'm guessing we will be crossing paths in Oakland and San Francisco for many years to come. Uh, I, yes, I can't wait, Zach. I really appreciate it. Thanks, everybody. It's Zach Lowe on the Thank show. You. Everybody, that's Zach Lowe. Uh, and, and the tow truck arrived or did not arrive, Paul? Cars at the shop. It was you, you heard it happen as I was talking to Zach Lowe. All right, everybody. That's the show for today. Thanks. Thanks.